Hello and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was written by Roald Dahl and was published in 1964. And the film adaptation, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, came out in 1971 and was directed by Mel Stewart. And somehow we are doing this episode just like exactly a week after the 50th anniversary of this movie. Yeah, we're recording this on July 1st. Yeah. And the film came out June 30th of 1971. Yeah, which we did not realize ahead of time. (laughs) But suddenly we were like, oh my gosh, this is the 50th anniversary. Yeah, because uh, an article was suggested for me about Willy Wonka and like, Oh, the child actors, where are they now? And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is just the Google algorithm knowing that I was looking stuff up. But then I was like, oh, no, it's because it was like 50 years ago today. Yeah. Like to the day. Yep. Really cool on our part. We did not plan it, but <laughs> let's just say that we did. <laughs> yes. And if you're like, oh, my God, I'm so disappointed that they're not talking about the Johnny Depp, Tim Burton, <laughs> uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory adaptation. Um, fear not, because we are doing a bonus episode that is a Patreon exclusive. Yes. So if you support us on Patreon at any level, you get access to all of our bonus episodes. And this one will be one of them. It should be a fun time. I, it's a bizarre film. I haven't. I, yeah, I haven't revisited it in a long, long time. Yeah. But I'm very curious because I do remember there being some aspects of it that I liked and appreciated. Mm-hmm. I am wondering how time has aged <laughs> <laughs> this film. Well, and when we were going to do this episode, we were like, which one should we do? And it didn't take us long to decide that no. we wanted to do the classic 1971 Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But we're like, well, whichever one we choose, we'll just do a bonus episode on the other one. Yeah. I mean, we don't have a huge fan base, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure our fan base would turn on us if we didn't do Willy Wonka. (laughs) That's true. That's true. They would all unite over it. (laughs) Um, And we do want to say to this film and, you know, this book are very old and iconic, especially the film. There's a lot of lore and just um, books and articles and videos and tons of stuff on it. And unfortunately, we cannot delve as deeply as we would like into that lore uh, just because we have a limited time format and also we're more focused on comparing uh, the book to the movie. But um, yeah, if you're interested in learning more, there's tons of content out there. Yeah, I mean, is Willy Wonka evil incarnate? I don't know. It's too big of a topic for us to address. Is he a representation of capitalism? <laughs> that I may be able to address in the episode. We'll see if we can work that yeah. in. <laughs> but it's funny, though, because we the reason we chose Willy Wonka right now was because we needed a really short book to read. Yeah. And that's because the week was very busy with us moving in to our new home. Yep. We bought a house, which is very, very, very exciting for Ian and I. We've been wanting to do this for a while now, and we weren't sure we were going to be able to make it. The housing market (laughs) is a little nuts right now, but we did end up in a beautiful, beautiful house, and we're in our new podcasting room right now. It's not totally set up yet, but we're really excited to make this house our home. Yeah. So if the audio sounds a little different, 
Uh, it may yet change, you know, to the next episode, you know, because we don't have everything situated quite yet. But uh, but yeah, we're we're just so excited and happy in this. And tired. <laughs> yeah, and tired and just, oh, my God, so exhausted. Moving is not fun. <laughs> no. <laughs> So let's get started and just discuss uh, Charlie for a little bit, the titular character of this story. Well, Charlie for the book. Bucket. Charlie Bucket. Yes. What a name. <laughs> what is Although all of Roald Dahl's uh, names for his characters are always really interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I was reading this, I'm like, oh, you know, Roald Dahl does a lot of kind of Dickensian yes. kind of names. But then I'm like, you know what? Should we stop using that term? Because like, Okay, Charles Dickens named people funny things. Like, yeah. What, I know he may be, like, one of the first people to do that, but, like... <laughs> well, and uh, J.K. Rowling does that as well. Yeah, yeah, she mm-hmm. does, too. And there is an interesting intersect between uh, Roald Dahl and J.K. Rowling as well, so... Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. That just made me laugh that I'm like, he doesn't... I, I, I don't know about this term, Dickensian, <laughs> when describing names. Charlie Bucket. (laughs) Charlie Bucket. Where where do we go from here? So Charlie Bucket has two parents in the book and just one parent in the movie. His dad is dead in the movie. Yeah. Which, once again, movies are very uh, good about just getting rid of one of the parents. Yeah. They're like, is this parent needed? No. We don't need two. Well, and they do the same thing with the children. The children only bring one parent each. Which was super smart in the film because it's like just reduce the number of adults who don't matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it's so sad in the book, his dad works at a toothpaste factory, putting the little caps on each individual <laughs> tube of toothpaste. Yeah. And as hard as he works and as hard as he tries, he can't get a raise. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty bleak. Uh, pretty Dickensian. Pretty Dickensian. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it back around. You brought it back. I brought it back around. Um, <laughs> and added to having to support their son, Charlie, they also have to support... Yeah, four grandparents that are all bedridden, all bedridden. That's really hard to say. Bedridden. Yeah, bedridden. Bedridden in the same bed. So we have Grandpa Joe and Grandma Josephine and Grandpa George and Grandma Georgina. Yes. (laughs) Why can't one of them just kick the bucket? Exactly. Get it? Yeah. Kick the bucket. Mm -hmm. Charlie Bucket. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for that reaction. <laughs> I did want to mention, though, at the book in the book, it's really cool how it starts. And I wish it did more of this in the story. But it's very kind of like interactive mm. when it starts because it's like, here's Charlie Bucket. And it shows an illustration of him. Oh, yeah. And it's like, he's very pleased to meet you. And then here are Charlie's parents. And the book is kind of like with the illustrations working to kind of introduced you to the story. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool to involve the reader in that, but they don't really, it's not really done any other time in the book. That's true. I kind of forgot. It starts very picture book-esque yeah. where the illustrations are very important to mm-hmm. the storytelling. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no, it does. It really drops that pretty quickly, but I do like that. And the illustrations in this book are like super uh, prominent and well-known as well. Yeah. And they're super poor, like Ian was saying, and they never have enough food for everybody. They uh, have a lot of cabbage stew, cabbage water. Yeah, as they call call it it. in the in the movie, hot cabbage water. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they're just they they live kind of a really sad 
uh, very poor, poor life. Like, mm-hmm. clearly, like, they're, you know, all there for each other. They try to be as supportive of they can as they can. But, like, my God. Yeah. They're really scraping by. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about um, how the movie starts. And I really quickly want to just mention the, like, opening credits with the scenes of, like, chocolate being produced. Yeah. I really liked that. I did, too, in the score playing, like, the yeah. little uh, vignettes of each musical number. And I was like, man, there's a lot of good music in this movie that I, like, kind of forgot about. Yeah, it has a really good, strong beginning. And then we go to the candy shop. Yes. Where tons of children are just waiting to rot out their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and we get uh, the the soda jerk who works there. I don't know if he's technically a soda jerk it depends on i guess yeah. what they serve but he is uh giving out candy left and right to all these children <laughs> and we get this classic song is it wh- what's it called i'm not the candy man it's called uh candy man or the candy man can okay yeah uh i just want to say that like this shop owner's relationship with all these kids is like a little sus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's like a little bit too enthusiastic. He's like dancing around with the kids. And then like at one point he has them all come back behind the counter. And I'm like, there needs to be another adult here. And it doesn't seem like they're paying at all either. (laughs) No. And also the kids are like, yeah, I'll go with you. Like (laughs) you have candy, right? (laughs) Yeah. But as soon as the song started playing, I was like, was this song written for the movie? It, it can't have been because it's so popular. Everybody's heard, heard the Candyman yeah. song. But I was doing some research and it actually was written for this movie. But a couple years after the movie came out, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. did a cover of it. Mm. And that his version of it went to like the top of the charts and was really what popularized the song. Okay. But it did originally appear in this That's movie. That's wild. Yeah. It's funny how that turns up. Like, we just did a bonus episode on Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. And found out that uh, the Time Warp came from that movie, the song, the Time which I had no idea. I mean, I've yeah. heard that song a ton of times. But, uh, yeah, very classic and iconic. And I, I love this opening, too, because it's just, like, this group of kids laughing, enjoying themselves, just stuffing their faces with candy and sugar. Yeah. And then we get this like pan over to the window and see a very, very sad <laughs> little boy. Yes. Charlie. Who watching. cannot afford any candy. No. And in fact, he has a job uh, delivering newspapers and finally is getting some money and he uses it to buy some bread for his family. Yeah. It's very noble. And also his grandpa's uh pipe tobacco yeah (laughs) grandpa joe grandpa joe uh yeah so like that you know just really establishes kind of the bond the family has and uh you know the mom works at like a laundry or some type of job like that but like clearly they need like a lot of help Mm -hmm. and we get introduced to kind of the mystique of willy wonka pretty early in both versions um, there's a creepy man at the <laughs> gates of the Willy Wonka factory who like yells at Charlie. He's selling knives. <laughs> he just has a cart of like butcher knives. <laughs> That's not creepy at all. No. <laughs> just having this random man approach Charlie. But then he ends up talking to Grandpa Joe later and Grandpa Joe kind of lays out the whole like mystery and the legend of Willy Wonka, the candy man. Yeah, which is uh very questionable. Because, you know, Willy Wonka had the greatest chocolate factory, right? Huge. 
probably employed like half of the town where they live in. Oh, yeah. Like huge. Like, I don't know, maybe someone like Charlie's dad. Oh, yeah. He probably worked there. Yeah. Or could have worked there. Yeah. But unfortunately, there were too many uh, spies from competing candy companies who were infiltrating Wonka's factory. And Wonka, um, I don't know, couldn't go down from like 80% of the candy market to like 70. He couldn't (laughs) take that kind of cut. So he's like, I know I'll fire everyone who works for me, all of them to protect my intellectual property. And then I don't know, go overseas and find like free labor. (laughs) Wow. You know what? You connecting the Bucket family's like economic situation to the fact that the Wonka factory is not employing the town. And there's probably like tons of people in the town that were fired and lost their jobs. I mean, factory towns used to like be like that. You know what I mean? Especially one that's like as big as like Wonka's factory is Mm -hmm. described to be. Wow. So really bringing us down. Ian. Strike one. <laughs> strike one against Willy Wonka, I have to say. Yeah. Um, but at this point, we don't know because the factory closed after everyone was let go and then reopened some months later. But like no one ever goes in or out. They no don't one, know who's working. Yeah. Right. In the book, they see like tiny little silhouettes of people mm-hmm. going by the windows. But like no one knows what it's about. But the candy keeps coming. Yeah. And in the book it's very clear that the candy is almost mystical and magical we get this in the in the movie too but it's introduced to us in the book pretty early like they talk about the ice cream that never melts yeah see yeah the book does a really good job of establishing all the kind of like wild magical qualities of like the products the film though in the opening scene a kid goes to a candy shop and the candy shop owner is like hey uh, why don't you guys try this new candy bar? It's called the Fudge Womper or something. Yeah. I forget. And the kid just immediately goes, wow, how does he do it? And I'm like, how does he do what? It's just like, candy. It's just yeah. candy. Like what? <laughs> we don't even know what's special about it yet. Yeah. So then all the magical stuff later feels a little odd because it's just chocolate. Yeah. 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 It kind of goes from like I, we never get any establishment of like what this candy is is like. Yeah. Besides super chocolatey and delicious. Besides addictive because of sugar. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. So things in the town, in the world, are shaken up when uh, Wonka announces that there is a competition uh, where there are five golden tickets hidden in bars of chocolate that are uh, being distributed uh, around the world. Yep. This causes chaos in the world. And I feel like the movie captures this really well. Yeah. It's so funny and clever with all the kind of little vignettes, I guess you would call them. Like little scenes, um, mostly involving adults, actually, which is kind of funny. (laughs) That is true, isn't it? Because we get the scenes with the kids who eventually get the golden tickets. But we see all these scenes with adults who are craving this golden ticket Mm -hmm. and are trying to find um, and buy as many Wonka bars as possible. Yeah. We get the scene of the guy in therapy talking about his dream about where to get a golden ticket. I love that one. (laughs) Uh, The machine, the robot. Oh yeah. The robot. (laughs) I think that's my favorite. The buildup to that joke of like, 
what would a robot do with uh, a lifetime's worth of chocolate and him <laughs> replying to the robot? I'm now telling the robot <laughs> what he could do or what it could do. Yeah. <laughs> the joke of that was so great. Um, and the the ransom. Yeah, the woman whose husband is kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I feel like Roald Dahl is credited with the screenplay for this film. Yeah. I'm very curious, though, if other writers had input because, yes. like, you know, Roald Dahl can be super witty and funny. Yeah. In his writing style and, like, you know, the jokes that he comes up with. But a lot of the humor in this film does feel like other movies with like Gene Wilder. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like comedies of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I, yeah. So I was reading about it and there is an uncredited uh, mm. screenplay guy who, and I forget his name. I, I should have written it down, but uh, apparently he did probably like 30% Interesting. of the movie. Um, and actually Roald Dahl has sworn off this film. What? Yeah, he hated it. Oh, my God. Because of the changes that were made. <laughs> but from what I read, he didn't really write a full screenplay. Mm. And in fact, they were about to like they were filming and the screenplay was not done. Oh, my God. And he apparently and I don't know if this is all true. This is just what I read in parts of his screenplay. He just was like, read page whatever to whatever. of the book. <laughs> And he was just like, you know, like many authors wanted it to be completely faithful. Yeah. And not appreciating the fact that like you might need to make some changes to make the movie more interesting and engaging. And so like the Slugworth plot line, um, the fizzy drink scene, basically everything that's different from the book to the movie was from this other Screenwriter. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And he wasn't credited at the time because I think they wanted it to make it seem like Roald Dahl approved of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But now it's more well known that he had worked on it. Well, and I wonder if he also punched up the script, meaning just like adding more humor. I think so. Which like the scenes, the all these like interjected scenes of the adults trying to find the tickets are like all just like. Really, like you said, funny vignettes that are like so engaging. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I just because I like that part of the book a lot, too. Yeah. We hear about a gangster who robbed a bank and then immediately went out and like bought boxes All the of chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. Um, also, a guy who invented a machine that was supposed to like detect gold <laughs> and it stole a woman's like fillings. Yeah. Uh, so like, I don't know, just like the pandemonium surrounding this event, I think, is captured really well. Mm-hmm. It, it's ironic, too, because in the book, it's kind of depicted as, like, this mania. It almost kind of this, like, magical thing. Yeah. But, like, no, it's just a really smart marketing ploy. Oh, yeah. Capitalism at its finest. Oh, yeah. And, and speaking of capitalism, so Ian and I were talking about, we're like, well, there's, like, an actual candy company called the Willy Wonka Yes, candy yeah, yeah. Like, there's, you know, nerds and, like, other stuff that we've bought. Nerds rope. Yeah, have, like, <laughs> the Willy Wonka brand on them. So I was reading about it, and apparently it was originally a subsidiary of uh, Quaker Oats. <laughs> really? And they pitched it to them to make the movie. So oh. Quaker Oats, like, you know, brought in money to make the film, and then they had this like oh brand out of it. And then it was sold to Nestle. And then I read that recently the brand had been retired. 
So mm. now they don't use it anymore. Oh my god, do, do nerds ropes still exist? Of course, but okay, it's, okay. it's just under a different branding oh, now. Okay. They like rebranded it and named oh, it something else. God, thank God, nerds, <laughs> nerds rope are so good. They're still one of the few candies when I see it. I'm like, I need, I need a nerds rope. But the fact that like to make this film, they were like, all right, we're gonna sell the rights to this imaginary candy yeah. company so that you can make candy and sell it to kids. It's very weird to think about for too long. It's a very gray area. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's very smart in terms of making money. It feels slightly dystopian. <laughs> I just, I'll say It does, that. no. Yeah, especially I, I, with, like, the audience being kids and, like, kids liking this book and liking this movie and then having that kind of, t- not twisted, but kind of used to just sell candy, you know? Yeah. So, of course, Charlie is trying to find the ticket. Um, and he gets a chocolate bar for his birthday, which is like the only one he's ever getting per year, which was supposed to feel so sad for Charlie. Yeah. He only gets one bar of chocolate per year, but of course it's not in there. And then his grandpa Joe is like, I bought you another one with my secret stash or with the money I was supposed to buy on tobacco. Um, but it also doesn't have the ticket in it either. I do really love the delayed... Uh, reveal of Charlie. I mean, like I you, know it's not the first one. Yeah, you know? it's not even the second one or the third. Like you know, he's gonna get it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, just because of the story. But like, I like um, how long they kind of like draw it out. Yeah, and meanwhile, the other tickets are getting snatched up by people all over the world. And the first person to find the ticket is Augustus Gloop. Yes, and his defining characteristic in this book is that he is fat. <laughs> Yes. I'm not saying that because I think he's fat. I'm saying that because the book tells us over and over and it over. It makes a point of that it. That he's fat. And the movie extends this to the rest of his family, too. In fact, the scene where they're interviewing him for TV, the mom or the dad, I forget, like, bites the microphone. <laughs> the dad. The dad, like, <laughs> takes a chomp on the microphone. Yeah. Yeah, it's really kind of absurd uh once again the book just i think goes so much farther just in its like description of it yeah and i think the like the not the irony the weird thing is like obviously augustus is the first kid uh to go in the story and then like i feel like Roald doll was like oh no i shouldn't have gotten rid of my only like fat character to shame through this story (laughs) and then like partway through the story it's like oh did i mention that this one kid's mom is fat yeah she's really fat and slow and like slowing everyone down like suddenly like the one mom was like almost retconned yeah in the middle of the book i need another fat character (laughs) yeah honestly that kind of um sums up Roald doll's writing style like it is very i was reading like a little mini interview with him at the end of the version of the book that i read and he talked about trying to exaggerate the characters as much as possible to make them interesting. Yeah. And in my mind, I was just thinking like, yeah, but you do it in a way that's like really shitty. Well, and you know, I think the shittiest thing too is that, and we've talked about this with JK Rowling as well with, cause she has fat shamed characters in her books as well. Yeah. But like a lot of it's directed at children. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, like of all people to be like directing this at like children who like, aren't even fully developed and no, aren't in charge and are still of, growing and aren't in charge of their own diets or anything like I don't yeah, know it feels very mean yeah yeah and this isn't the only example of this like we've read other Roald doll books mm-hmm. and it's pretty similar um if it's not someone being really ugly it's someone's that's just really 
Wait, what did I say? If it's not them being like fat, yeah, it's, it's them it's, being it's, ugly. If they're not fat, they're ugly. Yeah. Basically. Uh, yeah. So Augustus Gloop gets the first ticket. Then we get Violet Beauregard. Veruca Salt. I thought Violet was the second one. Oh. I think it in might the be book, different in different versions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Violet and Veruca. I know. I keep, I keep, Violet Beauregard has the best name, I think. Really? It, I like it, Veruca Salt better. Well, I like Veruca. I just don't remember it as much. Really? Something about Violet, like, sticks in my head better. Yeah. Uh, Violet is very competitive. Mm-hmm. She's a gum chewer and, like, a world record holder. Yeah. And is, like, very, I don't know, just um, in your face. Yeah. Her dad in the movie is a car salesman, which <laughs> I thought was a funny touch. I kind of <laughs> yeah. did like that. Uh, yeah. No, I agree. I thought that was a good addition. Yeah. And Veruca Salt, her dad owns a nut factory mm-hmm. and he gets all his factory workers to stop what they're doing and to instead open all of these candy bars so that his daughter can get a golden ticket. So we get kind of an establishment of her character, which is just super spoiled. Her parents yeah. are rich. She gets everything she wants. I love the Veruca scene in the movie with like yeah. the factory workers. I know. The dad pleading with the daughter. Yeah. And I think, the two girls, Violet and Veruca, are just so good. They're much better than the other child actors. They are. Yeah. And I mean, I think they're given more to work with, maybe, with the characters, because, like, um, Augustus just, like, cares about food and, like, nothing yeah. else, and he's, like, kind of quiet, and then uh, Mike TV, who we're introduced to later, is just like, I, I don't care, like, I just want to watch TV, TV, yeah. TV, TV, TV. <laughs> Um, but I mean, Violet and Veruca, like the scenes that they're in they they just like chew up the scenery. They're so chew good. Up. Chew up. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I meant that. <laughs> I meant to do that. I totally agree. And then the fourth child is Mike TV, who loves TV. I was like, come up with a better last name. Honestly. I know. Girl, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other interesting thing, too, is that I think this was. I think this is true for the book, too, that we never know where the town is or where the story takes place. Yeah. Where the factory is or where Charlie lives. Mm -hmm. But in the and I think it's only the film that we find out where each kid is from. Yeah. So Augustus is from Germany. Mm -hmm. Veruca is from the UK. Mike TV is from the US. Arizona. Arizona specifically. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I forget where Violet is. Violet is from Montana, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel a little bit like, I mean, obviously, Augustus is like a caricature yeah. of like a German. Like he's in like Lederhosen. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Mike TV does feel like a American cowboy, cowboy stereotype. So I kind of thought that geographic element in the film was interesting, too. Cause, and we never know where Charlie and the factory and all that, like where that takes place. It feels like the UK or Europe somewhere. And in fact, they actually filmed in Germany. So it has that. When you get that over the, and I mean, I guess the over the head shot at the end could have been filmed anywhere technically, but like it does feel very European kind of German with like the roofs and Mm -hmm. everything. Definitely. And there's also of this villain stereotype. (laughs) Yeah. uh, That's in the movie and it's kind of inserted from the, it's not in the book at all, but Slugworth? Slugworth, Slugworth, yes. Who is trying to get his hands on Willy Wonka's everlasting gobstoppers, comes to tempt the children into sin. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, we get like moments of him with, with each kid individually where he's whispering in their ear, clearly like giving them some kind of deal or offer or something. And we don't really know what's going on exactly until obviously Charlie gets his ticket mm-hmm. uh, and we get that actual encounter face to face. Yeah. And in the movie also, there's this fake out where the fifth ticket has already been discovered by somebody. And Charlie, of course, is devastated. And we get this really sad scene of him crying oh in his my bed. God. I was like, this is too sad. <laughs> he does seem to want it more in the movie. Yeah. I thought this was a genius little tweak. And I don't know if this came from Roald Dahl or the other writer in the film. But it is mentioned at one point in the book that, like, some people or one person made, like, a fake ticket. Yeah. A fake winning ticket. So for that moment to think that, like, the fifth ticket has been found. And all hope is lost. Yeah. And then Charlie buys his candy. And Mm -hmm. I love the way it plays out in the film because he's holding this chocolate bar when he hears the news that the fifth ticket was a fake. And it's like the movie knows that you know already. And like you get that like musical cue Uh that like, you know, that that building excitement of like before he even begins to open the bar. Yeah. It's really well done. It was a really smart move to just add, make, make that fake out of the ticket a little more prominent in the film, I think. Yeah. We get a song that the mom sings that I already forget about. Also, (laughs) when she's sad about Charlie not having the ticket. I know. I feel bad because I do like the scene she has with Charlie. Yeah. Like their scene together. I like kind of just establishing that bond a little bit more. But her whole song is just like, don't be sad, Charlie. Yeah. And like, it's just clips of Charlie walking and her singing. And, and Charlie. he's like, oh, it's so sad. I'm walking like in the dark, in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it kind of becomes a very forgettable song, I think. Yeah. Also in the book at this time, it's like, oh, yeah. And then the family is starving now. Like, Literally, the small amount of money that they had is now gone because Charlie's dad gets laid off from the toothpaste factory and they have nothing to eat. In fact, the book goes into extreme detail about how Charlie is literally like wasting away. Yeah, it's really dark. Yeah. I I do kind of appreciate it, though, from a kid's book point of view, because like it goes into detail about how Charlie is like literally like. He, he's leaving for school earlier so he can walk slower. Yeah. To conserve his energy. Because he's, he's not, dying. Because he's dying. Yeah. He's not going out to play at recess or like at least not like in an energetic way. And I think it just does a good job of highlighting how like kids who are dealing with either like not having enough food yeah. or like a medical condition have to like adjust their lives and how like. For most people, you may have no idea or be completely unaware of it. Yeah. But I do want to say the lack of like social safety net here is oh a, my a little God. bit alarming. It's a little. <laughs> Especially for a child. Whatever fictitious city that they're <laughs> living in, the lack of support for the poor is extremely unsettling. I agree. And I feel like this might have upset children, but maybe kids are resilient. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But Charlie does find the golden ticket. Yes, he gets it. I felt more fear and panic in this scene than any other when he finds the ticket. Oh, my God. I know. 
Well, I guess it's a woman. A woman rats yeah. him out <laughs> as having found the ticket. It like drags him into a crowd. And the mob and, swarms him. Oh my him, god! And you're like, like, no. Someone's gonna just snatch it away from him, and like he'll never get it back. But obviously, he doesn't. He runs home. Yeah. Um, and then we get one of the very, in my mind, one of the famous song dance sequences from this film, which yeah. is Grandpa Joe. Finally getting his ass out of bed. <laughs> in the book, we learn that he is 96 and a half. <laughs> yes. And he's in he's been in bed for the last 20 years. Yeah. And now he's like, oh, I finally have a reason to get up out of bed. <laughs> not to support the family. No. Not to help around the house. Not to just keep my body from decaying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is something, though, about like, I don't know. I, I just I kind of love this scene in both the book and the movie. Just I think like, the actor who plays the grandpa is. Oh really good my god, too. he's so fucking good. He's yeah. excellent, and like his his gradual um, improvement over the course of this song, from him stumbling around and hardly <laughs> staying up to like dancing this little jig. Yeah, it's just like so joyful, mm-hmm. and especially like. I don't know, reading the book, too, like, when he does find the ticket, like, I was, like, almost in tears just because, like, this poor, poor kid. I know. Who's dealing with, like, so much. And I think, like, the book creates this kind of, like, even though his family's going through such an unfair, terrible time. Yeah. There's this kind of sense of, like, cosmic justice that's established. Like, the grandpa, Grandpa Joe is so certain. Yeah. That Charlie's going to find a ticket because he, like, deserves it. Yeah. Like, he just knows that he's going to find it. Mm-hmm. And we get a lot of sad scenes where he's not finding it. But, like, ultimately, he's proven right when he does. Yeah. And I think we're we're establishing to Charlie's goodness. Yeah. And setting up the fact that he deserves deserves this and beyond that deserves to win like the ultimate prize which we'll find out at the end but like you know his bond with grandpa joe like they talk about how in the book like the grandparents all like adore him and he like spends time with them Mm -hmm. and like in the movie you know giving his money that he earns at his job to his family you know yeah um it's just cool seeing Grandpa Joe and Charlie get this moment together. Yeah. And Charlie wants to take Grandpa Joe with him to the factory. Yeah, I really love Grandpa Joe's involvement in Charlie's life and yeah. him kind of stepping up and being able to, like, go on this adventure with him. It's mm-hmm. really great. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Willy Wonka now. Yeah. And if you're like, wow, it's taking them a long time to talk about Willy Wonka, it's not our fault Literally halfway through the movie and halfway through the book is when Willy Wonka is introduced. Yeah. Uh, everyone gathers for uh, the day when they're allowed in the factory. Yeah. And we get the opening of the gates and and the classic scene of Gene Wilder kind of hobbling slowly towards the gates. Yeah. And apparently Gene Wilder like demanded this scene happen before he even took the role yeah i read that too he's like i'll do this but i want to do this one thing (laughs) for some reason that was like the line he drew in the sand yeah and i mean i read that he wanted to establish that willy wonka was not a trustworthy character yeah and kind of setting that up ahead of time as to his nature that he was there to like trick and deceive yeah um i mean it is kind of a fun scene Which is, like, 
interesting when we rewatch this movie because I remember Willy Wonka, played by Gene Wilder, as being such an iconic character. But I was kind of surprised on rewatching it on how soft spoken and kind of quiet he was. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's kind of got an awkwardness to him. Yeah. Which, I mean, makes sense because he's kind of a shut in. Yeah. So I kind of like that angle taken to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's like very friendly and outgoing when he's introducing himself, but he does kind of make these like weird quips and comments, like mostly to himself or like ways of interacting to the kids and kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, and in the movie, he's always quoting like classic literature yeah. as well, just or, kind of randomly. Or speaking different languages, yeah. just like French or German or whatever, just like totally off the cuff. Yeah, and in the book, he definitely felt like a more zany, like outgoing personality. In fact, the book kind of describes him as like a busy squirrel kind of darting mm, about yeah with that kind of energy there's kind of a i don't want to say darkness because i don't want to like you know make it seem too yeah but but there is a side to him in the film that's a little bit more like what's going on with this guy yeah he's a little odd i agree in a way that's like a little unsettling mm-hmm. i i with the boat scene, especially, which we'll get to, but yeah, uh, but yeah, he he kind of he starts off super friendly towards everyone, introducing mm-hmm. himself, letting the kids and the parents into the factory. The movie has them sign a contract, which yes. the book does not have. And then once they do that, they come into the factory, and it is this kind of funhouse aesthetic for a while. Yeah, I don't know. It's. It is fun. Like, there are some fun moments here, but I'm also kind of like... Yeah. This seems like a random... Filler. Yeah, mashing of, like, different, like, oh, one weird hallway into another weird hallway into, okay, we're here now. Yeah. Like, I'm like, just do something. Just get us there. Exactly. make it more of just grand than, like, a few weird hallways. Yeah. So (laughs) let's talk about the chocolate room. The chocolate room. I gotta say... The chocolate river looks disgusting. It's everything, Adina. <laughs> every like, okay, you and I, we've talked about this before. Yeah. We hate a chocolate like fountain. Yeah. Like at a like a fondue party. It's disgusting. Fountain. It's so gross. Yeah. That is this room. No, but let me say though, specifically okay. though, the chocolate river, like it feels like they did not even try. To make it look like chocolate. In <laughs> oh, fact, okay. okay, so I read okay. that they just colored the river. Oh, yeah. Because they, yeah. they, I, I guess they did try to kind of make it look thicker, but it just does not look like chocolate. It looks like dirty fucking water. <laughs> it does look like filthy water. And it's really gross. And honestly, I am a little bit disappointed in this, the chocolate room. Yeah. Just the way it's described in the book is so grand. It's so exciting. We have this like frothing chocolate waterfall which you can like kind of picture in your mind's eye because like you picture like maybe like hot cocoa Mm -hmm. frothed up you know and then there's all these like flowers and trees and grass that you can eat and i think the movie does better with those pieces of it like the flowers and and stuff like that but I got to say the whole chocolate river was just so disappointing. <laughs> and I mean, one of the dads even makes a comment like, well, your water looks gross. Yeah. Like, it's not water. It's chocolate. <laughs> and they're like, haha, see, we know it's gross. And we're trying to like, maybe, yeah, like throw off the scent. The fact that it's <laughs> disgusting. And I'm like, no, it does not work. It's, like, it's disgusting. We're aware. Wink. <laughs> yeah. Like 
it is like a mixed bag for sure. Like there are elements of it that still hold up that still there's kind of this sense of wonder. Although for the most part, like I'm not trying to knock on like the set design. Yeah. I mean, especially for 1971. Yeah. And I'm sure that the budget they had, they really did do a really good job. Mm -hmm. But I think like the score and the way it's filmed and Gene Wilder and like the kids reactions, like add like at least 50% of what's needed for like the excitement of that Definitely. moment. And we get the song Pure Imagination. Yeah. Which is so good. Mm-hmm. And very iconic. And that helps to add to the scene of wonder and making you feel excited. And it's very playful too with how Wonka's kind of like stopping and starting them and yeah. like not letting them run in too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, no, the whole idea of this place though honestly grosses me out. That yeah. it's just like, hey. It's all edible. Just put your mouths on everything. <laughs> stick your hands in everything. Rub your junk in it. <laughs> <laughs> like, just step on something and then eat it. And yeah. Like, just you go to town. And I'm like, this is not what I want. I don't want this at all. It's really gross. <laughs> but I think for a kid, it is literally the dream. Like, you enter a landscape and you can eat everything. Yeah. You know? Which... Well, okay. We we have to talk about one thing first, though. <laughs> Oompa Loompas. Let's talk about the Oompa Loompas. The introduction of Oompa Loompas in the story. So, if you don't know anything about the Oompa Loompas, besides the fact that they are orange-skinned and green-haired uh, little men from the movie. Yeah. You are in for a world of upsetness. A world of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> because actually, originally in this book, they were described as African pygmies, mm-hmm. which is an ethnicity uh, in Africa of like kind of shorter than average, um, you know, African tribes, basically. And so Willy Wonka... Went to the deepest part of Africa where no white man has been. I'm quoting. I'm quoting the book here. (laughs) And found this tribe of African pygmies called Oompa Loompas. Mm -hmm. And they were being hunted by predators because they were so tiny. And all they were eating was bugs and other disgusting things. Caterpillars. And Willy Wonka was like, listen, if you come work for me, you can have all the cocoa that you want. Yeah. And they're like, oh, cool. Because they were crazy for Coco. That was like the one thing Mm -hmm. that they all wanted was Coco. Yeah. And so he's like, cool. I'm going to pack you in crates. Yeah. I'll drill some holes in it. And ship you across the ocean. Or I guess maybe like up the ocean if we're talking about England. Yeah. And then you're going to work in my factory for chocolate. So like you don't get paid. And I'm like... This is but Adina, the slave trade. Adina, things were so much worse. <laughs> things were so much worse from where they came from that they should be glad to be in Wonka's factory, right? Ugh. Like, what kind of life did they have where they came from? That's basically what they're saying. But, yeah, but a big part of this is that, like, originally, these the Oompa Loompas were depicted in the books as being, like, dark-skinned. Yeah. I mean, literally described as African pygmies, so the illustrations originally had them as black. Yeah. And, of course, they're dressed in, like, pelts and leaves, and it's very tribal. And the Oompa Loompas are also described as being uh, very 
musical, mm-hmm. uh, dancing, and mischievous, which are um, active stereotypes from probably like the slavery times and onward through Jim Crow. Yeah. As like um, the Jim Crow character, basically. And like yeah. minstrelly. Mm, yeah, yeah. Minstrel shows and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just... Um really like the origins of it are really bad obviously then the movie changed them to being like green haired and orange skinned and like yeah very different and like someone i think a critic compared this movie to the wizard of oz and i think maybe this movie was trying to go that route yeah and they cast you know um people who were you know dwarvish who were shorter and they were like, let's just play up the dwarvish aspect, kind of like the Wizard of Oz does. Yeah. Um, and they were like, we literally can't have like tiny black slaves in this <laughs> chocolate factory. Like the movie was literally like, we yeah, we're not, we're not going there. <laughs> and in fact, the NAACP uh put out like a public statement and was like, this book is about slavery. Like literally the Oompa Loompas don't get paid. Yeah. They're trapped in this factory. They can't leave. And they were shipped from their home to this other country, like in a boat, which is like just an expression of the actual Atlantic slave trade. Yeah, I know. It's like (laughs) so unabashedly. And like it's only justification for this is that like where they came from was worse was worse yeah and i mean that is such a commonly used excuse for like the history of slavery yeah at least in the u.s where they're like i mean africa wasn't great like aren't they better now they have like christianity yeah (laughs) (laughs) they have christianity to protect them now yeah and what's interesting is after the naacp came out about like protesting this and then a bunch of other people were on board as well protesting this and then the movie came out Roald Dahl actually changed the book and now when you read whatever version of this book they describe them as actually white yeah so the Oompa Loompas are white they have brown hair their uh skin is described as like milky rosy white mm-hmm. um so yeah Roald Dahl was like okay you know, <laughs> and apparently his reaction to this was like Listen, I'm not racist, and I did not intend it to be racist, but I maybe see that it might be a little weird, so I'm going to change it. (laughs) Definitely, uh, like, I did nothing wrong, but if you insist, I'll maybe change it. (laughs) Well, and originally, Charlie, the character of Charlie, was supposed to be black, right? In an original draft of this story. Yeah. But the story was going to be completely different. That's what I was wondering was like, would we be getting the same type of Charlie that we got? No. In fact, it's like kind of a comparison of like Charlie as a black and brown skinned child to like a life size chocolate figure. Oh no. And him getting like a chocolate poured over him in a mold <laughs> and then given to somebody in an Easter basket. Yeah. Oh my god. It's terrible, Ian. <laughs> this is what it could have been. But his agent was like, "Yeah, we we don't really want like a black character in a children's book." <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. <sighs> so Roald Dahl doesn't get any passes here at no. all. No. Wow. <laughs> that's um that's a lot to take in. <laughs> I, like, I, I I know, like, I knew a lot of the Oompa Loompa backstory stuff, but my God, that 
Charlie stuff is is news to me. Yeah, it's not it's not good whatever way you slice it. And Roald Dahl has faced a lot of controversy during his life and after his death as well for being anti-Semitic. Yeah. And also for his portrayal of black characters and sometimes also for his portrayal of female characters as well. So yeah, there's just a lot. There's a lot of things. Like, you know how they say, like, oh, with a grain of salt. Well, maybe, like, a tablespoon <laughs> yeah. with him. Like, you have to keep a lot of things maybe in mind. Maybe, like, liberally salt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yes, this is the introduction in the story of the Oompa Loompas. Yes. And then Augustus. Poor, poor Augustus. Yes, he never had a chance. He falls into the chocolate river and gets sucked up a pipe. And it's funny because he's fat. Yeah. And that's, that's okay. how it's funny. Okay. I, I, have, I have some words to say, though. Okay. And I will only say half of them here. I will save the other half for the end or near the end. But um, Augustus was done dirty. Okay. Yeah. Willy Wonka, right, leads them into this room and is like, hey, guys. <laughs> hey, kids. This is the first room I'm showing you. Everything is edible. You can eat anything. It's magical. It's beautiful. Go crazy. Go to town. Go to town. Eat whatever you want. And then Augustus is like, oh, what about that chocolate? He's like, no, not that chocolate. (laughs) Like, yeah, like the one thing is like the chocolate fountain that like suddenly he's like all concerned with like sanitation and like OSHA regulations. Well, and like, why hadn't any of the other children started doing this too? No, because they're they're eating all the other stuff. It's not like. No one else is eating the candy. No. And Augustus is so fat that he has to eat all of it, you know? Yeah, why would why would anyone think that the chocolate river's off bounds? Yeah. And like why would Wonka not be very explicit about that? Because later on he's like, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that. Yeah. But for some reason in this room, he's like, whatever. Everything's edible. Probably. <laughs> I will say in the movie, Charlie at least tries to help him. Charlie like (laughs) sticks like a lollipop stick or something in the water to try to get Augustus out. Um, And then we get, of course, the first of the Oompa Loompa songs. And they're different from the book to the movie. Yeah. The movie keeps the same tune and structure of the Oompa Loompa Doompa Dee Doo and then kind of changes the lyrics a bit depending on the child and the vice that they're preaching against um, but of course this one is gluttony I, yeah yeah I will say that like despite all the problems of like the Oompa Loompas more specifically in the books like they're more fun yeah and you're like yeah they would be fun to like be around the Oompa Loompas in the film are like unsettlingly stoic yeah and like kind of creepy (laughs) like they're just like bizarre very serious and like they're like let's sing a very unsettling song about the um problems of gluttony (laughs) yeah it's interesting too in the movie they have like the lyrics kind of come on the screen yeah and kind of this weird like 60s 70s style super retro suddenly it's like a sing-along yeah and now let's talk about the boat scene the boat yeah um this has been i think listed as one of the scariest scenes (laughs) in children's films of like all time i can imagine it's literally disturbing like, there are actual parts of it where it's, like, they're in the tunnel and you see scenes of, like, flies 
and eyes. Or a chicken getting its head cut off. And like disturbing images. Look, nothing will (laughs) convince me that this was not based purely off of a bad trip. I know. Like a bad LSD trip. Yeah. Like nothing anyone says to me will ever convince me otherwise because it's just so like. It's so freaky. Yeah. It's just like this progression of like, oh, it's colorful and cool and all right, is maybe getting like a little intense and then Wonka starts like with his like creepy monologue. And I read that like the actors on set were like (laughs) kind of genuinely freaked out by him. Yeah. Uh, And then like obviously- This disturbing imagery. Yeah, the disturbing imagery gets thrown in and I'm like, what is the point of what's happening? I do not know, Ian. I could not tell you. It feels (laughs) literally like this was just put in to freak people out. I don't know. Kind like- I mean, I question why it's even in the book. Yeah. Because the like the book, Wonka's also kind of being unsettling and creepy. Yeah. And the movie's like, you know what part we should not only keep. But like ratchet up. But enhance. <laughs> is that enhance. crazy boat ride. I do want to read a part of the book, though, because I think this like really captures uh, Roald Dahl's humor when they're on the boat and they're passing a bunch of different like doorways. Yeah. So, okay, they're they're going by. Look, Grandpa, cried Charlie. There's a door in the wall. It was a green door and it was set in the wall of the tunnel just above the level of the river. As they flashed past it, there was just enough time to read the writing on the door. Storeroom number 54, it said. All the creams. Dairy cream, whipped cream, violet cream, coffee cream, pineapple cream, vanilla cream, and hair cream. Hair cream, cried Mark TV. You don't use hair cream. Row on, shouted Mr. Wonka. There's no time to answer silly questions. They streaked past a black door. Storeroom number 71, it said. Whips, all shapes and sizes. Whips, cried Veruca Salt. What on earth do you do use whips for? For whipping cream, of course, said Mr. Wonka. How can you whip cream without whips? Whipped cream isn't whipped cream at all until it's been whipped with whips. Just as a poached egg isn't a poached egg unless it's been stolen from the woods in the dead of night. Row on, please. <laughs> they passed a yellow door on which it said, Storeroom number 77, all the beans. Cocoa beans, coffee beans, jelly beans, and has beans. <laughs> <laughs> has beans, cried Beauregard. You're one yourself, said Mr. Wonka. <laughs> Just kind of these like punny, funny yeah. jokes. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if uh, Wonka was just trying to cover up for the whip room. I know. What, <laughs> what does why that do you, mean? Why do you have whips, Mr. Wonka? Um, Whipping cream. Obviously, of you, you child. <laughs> <laughs> they finally make it to the inventing room. And in the book, it's, and I guess in the movie, too, it's just like kind of a chaotic room. Yeah. Where Willy Wonka just has all of his bubbling and in progress con, uh, concoctions. Yeah. I really love the gobstopper machine, how it's like under a tarp. So yeah. you're only seeing kind of these like motions underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gives all the kids an everlasting gobstopper, which by the way, he says it's like, it's for poor kids who can't like afford much. Yeah. Who don't have much money and can't afford much candy. I'm like, I'm sorry, this doesn't track with his character. Mr. I have to protect my intellectual property by firing everyone in the town. He's like, I want to just help the poor kids. (laughs) And of course, uh, Violet Beauregard is excited by the fact that he has uh, gum that is a three-course meal. 
Yeah, this part I really loved in the book. Uh, Wonka kind of goes on this like tangent about how this gum's going to change the world. Yeah. How it's not only like delicious, but like also like is sustenance. Like you feel full <laughs> afterwards and like in the future, like families <laughs> will only have like sticks of gum for like breakfast, lunch they and dinner. They will kitchen. Yeah, he yeah. kind of goes on this whole tirade about how it's going to change the future, which I found very funny. Uh, but of course, Violet chews the gum despite Wonka's protests. His very weak protests. Yeah. Especially in the movie, he's always like, oh, wait, don't do that. I, I love <laughs> the progression yeah. or the de-escalation of his protests yeah. to each child. Yeah, he's like, oh, no, sweet, stop. Don't, Please don't. Don't no, do no. it. <laughs> and of course, she turns into a blueberry. And I just want to talk about Violet for a second because I feel like all the other kids kind of have a specific fault to them. Yeah. You know, like Augustus is, you know, gluttonous. And then, you know, Veruca is just spoiled. Yeah. And then Mike TV just watches too much TV. But like Violet chews gum. And <laughs> that's know. not enough for me, honestly. It feels like Roald Dahl just being like, oh, I hate it when kids chew gum. Oh, Absolutely. He yeah. like he had to hang out with one kid who was chewing gum obnoxiously for too long. And he's like, I have to write this in a fucking book or my yeah, head's going to like, explode. Why is this her character fault? Like, what does it mean? And I in know. Fact, the Oompa Loompa song in the book talks about a woman who chewed gum too much and then bit her tongue off. <laughs> Ian. The, yes. Yes. <laughs> this was really weird. <laughs> you know, it's funny because... Um, the the songs in the book, especially this one, reminded me so much of Shel Silverstein. Really? Yeah. In terms of like, I, I love Shel Silverstein so much. I love his poems mm-hmm. and like the stories he tells. They're so good. And this one especially, like one of my favorite Shel Silverstein poems is about like a king who loved peanut butter sandwiches <laughs> and one glued his mouth shut one day and he, and no one could pry his mouth open for like years. And this song reminded me so much of a Shel Silverstein poem. Like it's yeah. talking about a woman who chewed gum so much that like her jaw just started like gnawing away and she would bite things. And I'm like, this is like so Shel, <laughs> so Shel Silverstein. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny, but I did feel like this was a bit horrific. Because <laughs> then they're like, oh, yeah, she bit off her tongue, and then she was in, like, an asylum. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and Violet's probably like, what the fuck? That doesn't mean, like, I'm going to do any of that. Yeah, and then they have to take her off to uh, the juicing room to, to de- de-juice her. To juice her. <laughs> yeah, I-, I do love, it's funny, the fates of these children being, like, so open-ended yeah that like yeah she'll probably be fine yeah and i love at one point i think i think it's in this one in the film an oompa is whispering to wonka yeah and he says something like no i won't hold you accountable <laughs> <laughs> whatever happens to this kid yes. it doesn't matter <laughs> Then we get another a scene that is added to the movie and is not in the book. And this is the fizzy lifting drink scene. Yep. And this is where Charlie and Grandpa Joe are tempted onto the path of sin. Yes. To drink these fizzy lifting drinks, even though Willy Wonka has told them not to. 
And this scene really reminded me of like Mary Poppins and the scene yeah. where they're kind of like flying in the air. Um, and it's all fun and games for a little while. And Grandpa Joe is like, wow, I've never been able to move this freely in like over 20 years. But it is not to last. <laughs> because they're about to be sucked up into a huge industrial fan. Yeah. Uh, it is a fun scene. I think the way it's filmed is like very impressive. Oh, yeah. Like, I thought it looked really nice. Yeah. And, and it's fun until it's not. And then like they have to burp frantically to get down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is kind of just this like interlude. It feels a bit odd. It does. Because then they just kind of shuffle back into the group. And like no one has noticed. Yeah. Also the fact that like, okay, you've watched two children. <laughs> Meet terrible fate. Maybe die <laughs> from eating the things that they shouldn't eat. And the grandpa's like, hey, Charlie, let's just have this one. I love that the grandpa is the one who's like, I know. Hey, hey, kid, kid. You want a fizzy lifting drink? <laughs> I'm like, Grandpa Joe, we call this a pattern. Yeah. Like, stop. Like, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, I completely agree. And this leads us straight into the next child's downfall, which in the movie is the Golden Goose Room. And in the book, it's the Nut Room. Yeah. This book or this film is super faithful to the book in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Especially in like... Some of the things that are more absurd, like Violet turning into a blueberry. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that posed, like, a lot of technical challenges to film that, but they, like, stuck to the source material. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think training a hundred squirrels <laughs> to attack a young girl probably was, like, a little bit too far for them. Which is exactly what happens in the book. And they uh, knock on her head like they do on nuts to determine if it's a good yes. or a bad nut. And they determine she is a bad nut and send her into the incinerator. But yeah, I agree with you. Having live squirrels or even <laughs> just puppeteering them to, and not making them look ridiculous is probably too much. Yeah, I am curious to revisit the Tim Burton, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because they actually do the squirrels, the squirrel scene. So I'm curious about how that plays out in that film watch our or listen to our bonus episode on patreon <laughs> become a patron at any level <laughs> instead uh, we have the the eggs yes and the same kind of sentiment good or a bad egg it's also interesting too because veruca gets a whole song and dance number yeah i think this is a good song it's great she is awesome in this she's scene. so good honestly i was like why isn't she the star of this film i know <laughs> she i i love like the whole choreography of it the way she dances around and then like things. destroys the room yeah um and it's funny that she's like the only kid who gets a song yeah like you'd think the formula for this movie would be like each kid gets a song or something like that yeah but she's literally the only one which i don't know it makes me feel like she was the stronger actress and performer i am curious in that like how they if they cast for that role or if they wrote the number mm -hmm, based for on for her yeah yeah i'd be interested to find that out as well but yeah this is a a fun part of the movie that i really liked and i thought she was really good in it she's just so great at seeming so bratty and annoying <laughs> like know. she pulls it off so well and it's funny and interestingly this is the only child whose parents are like specifically blamed 
for her behavior. Yes. Which is interesting. It is interesting. I think you could say that all of the parents could be blamed. Absolutely. Because they're kids. So their agency is completely limited. But in this episode here, the Oompa Loompas specifically call out Veruca's parents and say that it's their fault. In both versions. Yeah. Yeah. I love in the movie, (laughs) like the song is like coyly like, I think we all know who's to blame for yeah. this. And then they go, the, the mother, mother and the father. In case you didn't get it. Yeah, it's the mother and the father. And in fact, in the book, both of them end up going down into the trash incinerator pile with her. And in the movie, the dad does too. I think the also the dad in the film is like, the best dad, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think he's like really funny. I just love his like dynamic with his daughter. Like yeah. him trying so desperately to, to like, like make her stop yelling at him. Yeah. <laughs> just to like please her in every way. Like their dynamics like so funny. Yeah. But I do think it's weird that this is the only instance where the parents are like specifically called out. For it is behavior. odd. Yeah. Like Mike TV, like, yeah, your parents are letting you watch that much TV. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Yeah. Let's go to Mike TV. Mike I, TV. I still hate his last name. God, it is just... <laughs> Unimaginable. I think he just gave up at that yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I don't, don't know. know. Mike TV. Uh. This, to me, also feels the most unimaginative as well. Y- you know... We as t- a character. Yes. And we already talked about how Veruca and Violet are like the scene stealers of the kids. Yeah. So it feels uh, Mike TV's whole thing just feels really underwhelming. I think by the time we get there, especially after that cool musical number where she destroys the room. Yes. Yeah. Like the uh, Mike TV's just like not that interesting. I think honestly, the reason it's last is because like the way he dies, he doesn't die. die. Air quotes. Uh, The way he leaves, (laughs) This mortal coil. The way he's voted off of the island. (laughs) (laughs) Is so science fiction-y. It's like in a movie franchise when you go to space. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't come back from that. Yeah. You have to save it for the end. Yeah. So, like, you know, you can't go to, like, a room that has, like, a, a teleportation TV device and then go to the Golden Goose room. Yeah. You have to save it for the end. But the problem with that is that, like... Mike TV's not interesting and like the whole TV thing is like not that interesting and it's just kind of like eh. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, the whole premise of him wanting to be transported through the TV like doesn't really make sense as to why he would want that either. Yeah. You know? Um but I do want to say too in the book this is the longest song that the Oompa Loompas sing. It's super long. It is so long. And the whole song is just about how TV is bad. TV rots your brain. TV makes children stupid. Children should read books instead. In fact, here are some several book recommendations <laughs> that you can read. And that's the song. It's like three pages. It's so long. And honestly, as a librarian, Ian. Yeah. As a librarian, <laughs> I think this is uh, way too much. It's too much. The screams of someone who is afraid of the world changing and afraid of technology and thinks that the old ways are always better. And listen, yeah, it's not good for children to watch TV 24-7, 
But also, TV has not yet destroyed the world. No. We'll leave that to the internet. I don't know when Roald Dahl died. I hope 1990. it was good because he would have like an immediate brain aneurysm if he saw the like internet. if he saw an iPad, I know. he would die on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> His head would just explode. I agree. If he saw an iPhone for two seconds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just, it just seems so lazy to be like, oh, read a book. Kids shouldn't watch TV. I, I Yeah, I know. But they would also be like, well, not that book. That's not like a real book. Like read a real book, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just very... J- also, the Oompa Loompas, for, for a society of people that lived in the jungle eating caterpillars, they have a lot of opinions <laughs> on parenting in the modern age. I agree with you, Ian. I agree. And they would also be, like, the biggest buzzkills, like, it, on the school board or whatever. They'd be like, we don't let our kids watch TV. Yeah. Our kids aren't allowed to have chocolate. Or, like, they would just be following you around, and as soon as you would, like, maybe buy, like, a, a piece of, like, cake instead of getting, like, salad, they'd be like, oompa, loompa. Like, <laughs> just let me live my life in peace. <laughs> the mother and the father. <laughs> Um, so where are we at in the story? Um, so all the children have been eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> They've all been kicked off the island. Yeah, and in the mo- in the movie, we have another kind of test here where it's this kind of intense scene where Willy Wonka kind of tells Charlie that because of his uh, sinful episode with the fizzy lifting drinks, he has dis- is disqualified from his lifetime supply of chocolate. In fact, all the children are disqualified from their lifetime supply of chocolate because of the contract they signed at the beginning that they could not read and they did not have their lawyers present for. Classic businessman. Classic yeah. capitalism. I know. And, you know, Grandpa Joe is like, come on, Charlie, like, let's leave. But, and it's this whole scene, it's this whole test Basically being like, will Charlie use the everlasting gobstopper that he was given to sell to Mr. Slugworth to get money? And Charlie decides not to. Okay. There's a lot to unpack with this. Yeah. So I found it really interesting when you were saying like these additions were like contributed by like the other writer. Because I actually think this whole Slugworth subplot completely shoots the whole thing in the foot. To a degree. Yeah. Because, okay, so the final test seemingly was will he or won't he give the gobstopper to Slugworth? Yeah. And every child was presented with this, right? Yeah. You know, they were all told about this. However, only Charlie made it to the end. (laughs) To be able to make that choice. To make that choice. Yeah. And in the film... He took the fizzy lifting drink. He drank it. Yeah. He made the same mistake all the other kids made. He yeah. just lived to talk about it. <laughs> he was the only one who like survived yeah, his unscathed. trial unscathed and could Untransformed. continue. Yeah, could continue with the tour. Yeah. So my question is, isn't it unfair to disqualify every other child from winning when like they just didn't survive their mistake yeah. and never had the chance to... Either sell Willy Wonka out or not. Yeah. 
especially poor fucking Augustus, who didn't even get to the room to get the fucking gobstopper. No, he didn't even have a chance. No, yeah. he had no chance. I agree with you, Ian. It is a, an odd addition. And then the fact that like, oh, Mr. Slugworth was like a spy the whole time for yeah. me. And it was a test. I feel like Willy Wonka is too mean in this scene, too. He like yells at him. And I, don't, <laughs> I don't like it. It's a weird vibe. Yeah. And I'm like... It's interesting kind of at first because you're like, oh, is he really just kind of a sad man? Yeah. But then it's like, no, it was just a test. That's not really what I'm like. Yeah. Also, what? You just don't trust him after that. You're like, you yelled at him. That was mean. (laughs) How fucking dare you? (laughs) Also, what's up with his room of half objects? I don't know, Ian. I could not tell. Like that also makes it seem like, oh, he's actually, it gives you the impression he's like sad, like he's incomplete. Yeah. But like they don't do anything with that. No, but we're also led to believe that that's just like a face he's putting on for the moment. Yeah. Also, if Charlie took the candy, that doesn't mean he's going to sell it to Slug. No, he could just eat it. He's like, I'm poor. Yeah. This was made for poor kids. This is what I wanted. Yeah. Also, (laughs) just the cherry on top. Why does Slugworth need the gobstopper now? If if the way he has to duplicate it is to just have one. Just wait till they come out. Yeah. And buy one. Yeah. And then do it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, unless he needs to be the first to market with this idea. Yeah. Like, I like everything about this slug, Slugworth subplot, because the book is just simpler. It's yeah. Just, it's literally like, wow, you lasted the longest, Charlie. So you win. Yeah. He didn't take the fizzy lifting drink in the no. book. Every other kid succumbed to their own uh, original Vices. sins. <laughs> And Charlie was just the last one left. And like, that's it. That's all it needed. Yeah. They go on this elevator ride. They tear through the ceiling of the factory. They're hovering over the city. And that's where Willy Wonka says this contest was about more than just getting a lifetime supply of chocolate. Um, You've won. You've lasted the longest. And you will inherit the chocolate factory. Which what the fuck is Wonka going to do? When he retires. I think he's just planning on dying. (laughs) He's just going to like crawl in the garage like a cat and just die. He's like, I'm getting old and I need someone to inherit my factory. And I want to be a kid because I can like groom him into my own image, basically. rationale was weird. It was weird. He's like, adults will want to do things their own way. I need a young, malleable. Impressionable mind. Child. To get them to, like, never innovate and just do things the way that I do them now. Yeah, and I need someone to uh, pass on my slaves. I mean, take care of the Oompa Loompas. (laughs) Take care of the slaves. (laughs) Yeah, but his whole family can move into the factory. They won't be poor anymore. They'll have plenty of food to eat as long as it's sweet. Um, So this is kind of a happily ever after for Charlie and his family. Yeah. I mean, there is a, a definite sweetness to this ending. I don't mean to be like yeah. all negative with it, but yeah. like there's a lot to un- like, I don't know. The movie really tries to pass it off. as just like this simple, happy ending narrative. But I'm like, yeah. there's a lot here that's like not confusing dealt with at all. Yeah. Or like not addressed or like doesn't make sense. In the book, we do see the other children coming out of the factory alive, not unscathed, <laughs> though, because like Mike TV is like super stretched out. Uh, Augustus was like thinned up by the pipe and Violet is still purple yeah. from the blueberry. And 
Uh, Veruca's just covered in trash. So yeah, Veruca got she off got easy. off easy. Yeah, yeah. But I do kind of want to talk just a tiny bit about this kind of overall plot by Roald Dahl and kind of the punishment aspect of children. And then kind of calling up our earlier discussion about how Veruca's parents are specifically blamed for her actions and how she turned out. But the other parents aren't really held responsible in the same way. Yeah. And in fact, like Veruca and the rest of the kids all really like suffer because of this. And it just feels kind of wrong to have these children be treated this way. Yeah. Because, again, children are not in control of, like, how they grow up, the way that they're parented, you know, things that they have to encounter in their lives. Like, is Charlie... Charlie is poor, and that's his parents' fault, but, like, they're not... They're not... It's not like they did anything wrong, and it's not like Charlie's held responsible for that. No. Whereas, like, other children in different situations, like, they... It's just... And I think one review that I was reading about it called it kind of sadistic. Yeah. And I would sort of agree with that in this like kind of glee and almost like taking pleasure out of the punishment of children. Yeah. Like really young children. I don't like it. No, I I agree. It's like a really... And like, who was it for? Like, it seems like it should be more for parents. Yeah. To be like, hey, don't raise your kids these this way. Yeah. But like, it's a children's book. And it's like, hey, don't don't be overweight. Yeah. Or chew gum. Because that's your fault. Like, that's on you. Yeah. And I'm like, what kind of message is that for kids? Mm -hmm. Like. It's one thing to have in a lot of Roald Dahl stories, like the adults, the parents, the authority figures are villainous and evil. Yeah. And that feels kind of true to real life in an exaggerated form. Yeah. But like to have the children be. The ones that are punished, I just, ugh, I don't like well, it. Once again, to compare it to J.K. Rowling, like, yeah. you know, yeah, Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia are like villainous. But then they're also like, well, yeah, well, Dudley sucks, too. Yeah. Like, he's fat and mean and like yeah. gross. And it's like, oh, oh, well, OK, we can like leave him out of that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just feels like unnecessarily mean to like just shame children for things that are so out of their control. Yeah. I have a hot take that I just want to drop right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm ready. I can at least say this about the movie. Yeah. I, I, I don't entirely know if I feel this way about the book or not. And it, that may be like a plus for the book. I think the half of the film before they go into the chocolate factory is the better half. What? Yeah. Why? Okay. A couple of reasons. I think I I really love the kind of larger scope of the story that it's telling. Mm -hmm. Like, I really like it showing Charlie's goodness, his character, his life growing up, the pandemonium going on worldwide with like the golden ticket Mm -hmm. thing, uh, the kind of mystery that's going on. And like, I love the grandparents as characters and like the world building. Like, I think that's all really good. And the story has like it moves at a good clip. Like mm-hmm. I was saying with like him not finding the ticket, not yeah. finding, finally finding the ticket. When they get to the factory, Charlie takes a fucking back seat. Yeah. For almost the whole film. Yeah. Yeah. Every other kid, especially Violet and uh, Veruca, 
become like the focus. Yeah. Which I mean makes sense because their characters are kind of obnoxious. And extreme. And extreme. And then you have Willy Wonka in the mix who's like very yeah. chewing scenery and captivating and like I don't know. Charlie gets like a few lines here and there, but he's mostly just along for the fucking ride. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, even though I don't love the fizzy lifting drink scene, like at least that's like a scene focusing on Charlie and his grandpa. Yeah. But once again, like the narrative, like you get it at a certain point. It's like, okay, we go here and a child's punished. 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 Yeah. Like... Yeah, the rooms have different themes and it is kind of fun and you get a song, but it just becomes like very repetitive, repetitive and sequential. And like you get it by the second kid. Yeah. Um, I just think the beginning half is like kind of more interesting. It's more a little like I, I like I like the school. I kind of like, you know, seeing Charlie in the real world to an extent, and yeah. his family and like. I don't know. I think once it gets like, obviously, the more visual, fantastical elements take place in that second half and obviously the more iconic moments of the film. Yeah. But I think story wise and structurally, I think the first half is better. Interesting. I don't know if I would agree with you, but I see your point. That's my that's my (laughs) hot take. Is this leading us into our discussion about which is better? I think it is. Okay, which is better? No, you go. (laughs) Okay, you know, I I genuinely I'm not sure. I'm going to say the movie. Okay. So I think I agree with your structural problems, but I think those problems go to the book as well. Yeah. Um, And I think the movie is very iconic in its actors and the musical scenes and the sets for better or worse. Um, <laughs> but I think it's, it is an enjoyable film to watch and to rewatch and to kind of go back to. And I will say like the fact that, Roald Dahl originally had the Oompa Loompas as uh, African slaves does kind of count against the book for me. You can't forget it. Yeah. It's in, it's burned in your brain. Yeah. See, here's my dilemma. The, the, the issue with Charlie taking a back seat is much less in the book, I feel. Yeah. I feel like Charlie's still present in the book throughout those parts. And in fact, there is a one moment I do like where... Wonka kind of gives Charlie like a cup of hot chocolate yeah. and kind of acknowledges like, hey, you look really thin. Like, do you have not have enough food? Like have some hot chocolate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have some nutrients. Um, but there is kind of a bonding moment there that I yeah. like that I wish the movie had like just one moment between Wonka and Charlie that's like their own. Yeah. And so I do. F- and, and like, I think the whole Slugworth plot line only hurts the film. I mm-hmm. really don't think it helps it. It just kind of like jumbles up the narrative and like what it's trying to say. Yeah. But. It sounds like you prefer the book. I kind of am lean like, but I have so many issues with the book. <laughs> Listen, Ian, it's not an easy choice for me either. Because <laughs> um, there are things I dislike about both of them. Um, so it's okay for us to disagree. Maybe just to split the difference. I think it'll make us both feel better. If I say the book. I agree. And you say the movie. Yeah. It's kind of like we're each. Yeah. Compromising and going like halfway. That, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Good deal. Let's Good. do it. <laughs> we'll shake on it. We'll sign a contract. Okay. So I chose the movie. And I chose the book. All right. Let's do lightning round. Let's do a lightning. 
Okay, so first up for lightning round, I want to talk about this part in the book where they get on the elevator and they talk about all the rooms. And there's like <laughs> labels for each rooms above the buttons. And just some of these rooms that are in the chocolate factory, which is like half of Roald Dahl's humor is just different room names. <laughs> uh, exploding candy for your enemies. Luminous lollies for eating in bed at night. Cavity filling caramels. No more dentists. Stick jaw for talkative parents. Invisible chocolate bars for eating in class. Candy-coated pencils for sucking. Fizzy lemonade swimming pools. Magic hand fudge. When you hold it in your hand, you taste it in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, What a tagline. Weird. You know, I know we've compared Roald Dahl to J.K. Rowling a few times now, but like... Yeah, the candy. I mean, the candy thing and like the uh, Weasley Wizard wheezes. Mm. Like, that's also a ton of... That's true. Harry Potter humor is just naming wacky candies. Yep. So on top of uh, Wonka just using slave labor to like produce all of his candy. He was also testing a lot of things on Oompa Loompas. Yep. Like he talked about testing the gums on Oompa Loompas and how they kept turning into blueberries. Yep. Just a number of things. Uh, The worst was probably him testing the fizzy lifting drink on an Oompa Loompa who just floated away to his death. To the moon. To the moon. Willy Wonka said. But it's okay because he was an old one anyway, as he like specifically said. Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> but yes, Wonka fed it to an Oompa Loompa and just let him go into the stratosphere. Yep, not great. <laughs> I do want to mention in the movie, the teacher in these school scenes. Oh my God, yes. He is so funny. In fact, he all of his lines, I'm like, did this guy ad lib these lines? I know. Because it feels like he did. Because at one point he's like, oh, do you know what this does? And Charlie's like, no. And he's like, it's exactly right. Because I'm the teacher and I have to know and I'll teach you. And when they find out the news that Willy Wonka is giving away these five golden tickets, he's like, class dismissed. (laughs) (laughs) He's so great. He's so kooky. Yeah, in that tirade, he's like, because then you would be a teacher teaching teachers, and that's pretty presumptuous. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. Um, So because this is the 50th anniversary, uh, articles specifically have been coming out about uh, where are the children today? Oh, yeah. Um, Unfortunately... The woman who played Violet has passed away. Mm. But something that's really fascinating, though, is just how, like, the kids, the or, or all five kids, like, except for uh, Veruca. Yeah. None of them stayed in acting very long at all. Really? Uh, this is Charlie's only credited role wow. in any feature film. Oh, my gosh. After this, he was done and he, he became a vet. Huh. He's currently a veterinarian. <laughs> wow. The kid who played Mike TV, I, th- I forget exactly what he did. He yeah. like did a lot of backpacking. The woman who played Violet went on to become like a receptionist when she was 21. Huh. I think she was in the Brady Bunch or something like that for a while. And uh, the kid who played um, Augustus, this was his only movie, and he became a tax lawyer. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, HBO Max, though, just released like a like a Skype call between all of them. Yeah. Or the four of them kind of talking about like (laughs) the making of the movie. Yeah. The legacy of, you know, being one of these kids and just kind of how they all live like pretty normal lives now. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. Like not one of them really broke out into. Yeah. 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 So just kind of a fascinating history to that. 
Yeah. So that wraps up lightning round and the episode. Thank you so much for listening. And like we said, if you'd like to listen to our bonus episode, that'll be coming out soon. Just become a patron and you can find us on patreon.com. You can also find us on social media and all of that information is on our website, coveredacredits.com. Yes. And if you can't become a patron, then uh, giving us a positive Apple Podcasts uh, review or even just a star rating is super helpful just for us becoming more uh, noticeable on that platform and discovered by more people. Um, but thank you so much for listening to this episode. It was so fun to do. Eat a bunch of candy after this. Stuff your face. <laughs> I know I will. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.